Okay, let's um, let's open the word of prayer. We've already prayed like a few times, but uh, let's pray again. Heavenly Father, thank you, dear Lord, for this time. Thank you, Father, for your word. We pray, dear Lord, and ask you, Father, that you would be with us and that your name would be glorified and lifted up. And we ask you, Lord, that you would watch over us and that this word would have a work within people's hearts and lives. We ask you to be with us in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. Amen. Okay, you'll notice I have a new pulpit, which can fold up really easily, and that's pretty handy. So it's good. It's a little, I don't know, it'll, it'll work. Hopefully it'll carry my weight when I'm leaning on it. <laughs> Does it feel like, I can't, I can't pound, I'll put my fist through it if I pound it. But I I'm not a pounder anyway, you know. I'm not, I'm not one of those that... Um, we're, uh, we're continuing on with our study in the, in the book of Romans. So thank you for joining us. Welcome again. Um, the title of the message this morning is taken from Romans chapter 15 and verse 5. And it'll probably be worth having a look at the portion right up to it. Uh, we'll read from Romans chapter 15 and we'll go from... Um, Verse 1 through to uh, verse 6. Paul writes, it says, We then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let every one of us please his neighbour for his good to edification. For even Christ pleased not himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of them that reproached thee fell on me. For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning that we, through patience and comfort of the Scriptures, might have hope. Now the God of patience and consolation grant you to be like-minded one toward another, according to Christ Jesus, that ye may with one mind and one mouth glorify God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's where we've taken our text, the last, the last two of those, of those verses. Now the God of patience and consolation grant you to be like-minded one toward another according to Christ Jesus, that ye may with one mind and one mouth glorify God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. We see within this is call to like-mindedness, this call to, to, to unity within the church. And it, Paul gives to us the, um, the, the principal example of that, which is God who is in himself, unified within himself. So we see something with this first point this morning, God, the unity within himself. The passage speaks of a prayer. It's a prayer toward unity among, among the brethren, among the church, um, and has its purpose in, in glorifying God and glorifying him with one mind and with one mouth. Um, the Bible says here that we are to be like-minded, um, the text says our minds and our hearts need to be knit at the soul in every way. And we are to join ourselves together in worship uh, of God with one mouth. Today, we, we as, a, as a people, we are to be unified. And our unity that we are to have is to be unified in the truth, to be unified in that which is right, to be unified in that which is consistent with reality. That is without contradiction. It is perfect. It's, it's, it's a, a line of understanding that we are confident is absolutely right and absolutely true. 
and we compare that to to the world a world that is probably only ever unified in error because that which is not of the truth can only be a lie and that which is of the lie can never be true no matter how much the world wants to make it true wants to sanctify it wants to pasteurize it wants to do everything it wants to do to try and make uh, sin true or right or good um, it can't do it it can't do it the bible says no lies of the truth and we are to be united only in the truth. And, and this is an important thing to consider. The question that we're going to be looking at answering is how? We look at Christian churches all over the world today, for example. And the churches around the world, are um, they're not necessarily unified. You know, one of the things we find is multitudes of denominations. Sorry, I was just looking for something to clear my glasses. I got it, I got it. Um, We've got multitudes of denominations around the world. And we've got to ask ourselves a question, why? Why? If, if God is unified in himself and we are also in Christ and we are united in Christ, why are there so many different churches around the world? And uh, so we'll look at answering a little bit of that as we go through here as well. We want to give some consideration to that. We want to give some consideration with regards to the unity that we have within ourselves. We want to give some consideration to the opposing position, which is being united in error. How can a people be united in error? When you think of error being something that is like there's only one truth, there's only one true north, um, but there are multitudes of degrees that aren't true north. We look at that with regards to error as well. There are so many different errors, and not everybody is united in those, yet they are still united in error as a whole. And then we're going to be looking at what it is that we, with one mind and one mouth, glorify God, and how much of a blessing that is for us to be able to enjoy and, and be blessed in. The first ver- this verse here has this picture of God himself um, it, it, it's it, the first few verses first few words in the passage establishes the foundation it says now the God of patience and consolation patience and comfort we have patience and comfort of the scriptures and now we've got the God of patience and comfort patience and consolation here we see Paul begins his portion with his focus on the characteristic of God that is a marker of his identification the God of patience and consolation. It's one of the beautiful blessings that we see that this is the nature of God. God is unified within himself. He is within him a perfect unity. The foundation that we are looking to have as a church or we are called to have as a church in the scriptures is to be like-minded, to be of one mind and of one mouth glorifying God. Not to accept that we're not one-minded not to just agree to disagree but to be actually one-minded and like-minded one mind one mouth glorifying god we are to look at god being united within himself there are well we don't have to go past the gospel of john turn the gospel of john with me john chapter one john chapter one and we see here how god is unified within himself he has perfect unity within himself john chapter 1 verse 1 to 3 it says in the beginning was the word and the word was with god and the word was god the same was in the beginning with god 
All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. By the time we get to the 14th verse, it identifies who the Word of God is. It says, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Here God shows the unity within himself and this being his very identity. Christ is God. God is Christ. We see that within within this passage alone. Um, in verse 3 of John's introduction, it says, All things were made by him. By who? By God. By God. And without him was not anything made that was made. Yet Ephesians 3.9 tells us that God created all things by Jesus Christ. So we've got a unity in this creation. We recognize that there is no distinction between God and, and Christ. And to just make sure that we don't get mistaken here, we've got it in Colossians chapter 1, in verses 14 to 17, speaking specifically of the Lord Jesus Christ. Worth turning there if you've got your Bibles. Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1, after the book of Philippians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, the first chapter, verses 14 to 17, again, speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ, it says, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins, that can only speak of Christ, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. Again, here God shows the unity within himself. He is the creator of all things. This is Christ and this is God. Turn forward to uh, John chapter 5, if you were still in John or had a finger still in John. John chapter 5. Jesus spoke of his work as that which God works when he was being persecuted by the Jews for healing on the Sabbath day. Remember that? It's, it's almost like the Lord went out of his way to heal on the Sabbath day. We see him always on the Sabbath day, he's healing. It's almost like that day was set aside for healing. And... Uh, and the Lord Jesus was, was being persecuted by the Pharisees. In verse 17, it says, But Jesus answered, Jesus answered them, My father worketh hitherto, and I work. Therefore the Jews sought the more to kill him, because he not only had broken the Sabbath, but said also that God was his father, making himself equal with God. You want to notice something here? That the Jews... The Jews knew perfectly the claim that the Lord Jesus Christ was making. They understood it. They understood it. There's a lot of people that sit there and say that Jesus never referred to himself as God. Yet the Jews understood exactly the claim that the Lord was making, that he made himself equal with God. Well, did Jesus shy away from that claim? No. On the contrary, have a look at verse 19. Then Jesus then answered Jesus and said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, the Son can do nothing of himself, but what he seeth the Father do. For what things soever he doeth, these also doeth the Son likewise. For the Father loveth the Son, and showeth him all things that himself doeth. 
and he will show him greater works than these that ye may be that ye may marvel for as the father raiseth up the dead and quickeneth them even so the son quickeneth whom he will for the father judgeth no man but hath committed all judgment unto the son that all men should honour the son even as they honour the father again we see god showing perfect unity within himself he works and in those christ works the Lord Jesus Christ works. Philip asked the Lord Jesus the question. You remember when Philip asked Jesus the question? Jesus was speaking about the Father. And Philip asked him the question. He says, Lord, show us the Father and it sufficeth us. You know, it's sufficient for us. Jesus saith unto him, Have I been so long time with you? And yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that has seen me has seen the Father. And how sayest thou then, show us the Father? You know? We've got a unity here with the Lord Jesus Christ. He goes on, he says, Believest thou not that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwelleth in me. He doeth the works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me, or else believe me for the very works' sake. We see a unity within the Godhead, within God. There is no, there's no division in the Lord. There's no division in God. God is united, one within himself. And we are born again into that same likeness. As the church, we cannot be but united in Christ. That's our our reality. That's the position that we actually have in God. We are united in God, in in reality. Last portion we'll turn to, to get this, this, this unity coming together. Have a look at 1 John. First John chapter 5, probably one of the most famous portions in the Bible with respecting the doctrine of the Trinity of God. Without this passage, without this section in the Scriptures, um, the doctrine of the Trinity is still found within the Scriptures, no doubt, but not, not to the extent of this clarity. First John chapter 5. If you have a modern translation, I am sorry for you. Um, I am certainly sorry for you if you've got a modern translation because they have deleted verse 7. They haven't actually deleted it. The number's still there, but they've split verse 8 in half and pushed half of it into the place of verse 7 and left the other portion in verse 8. So it removes the clarity. Have a look at this. It says there, 1 John 5, 6, This is he that came by water and blood even Jesus Christ, not by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit that beareth witness, because the Spirit is truth. For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. There are three that bear witness in earth, the Spirit, the water, and the blood, and these three agree in one. Again, we've got a perfect unity in the Godhead, a perfect picture of unity. Well, this is sort of like Christianity 101, you know. I mean, this is basic stuff. Um, you know, I know I'm, I'm preaching to the converted. You're saying that you're preaching to the converted pastor. We, we, we know all this. We know God is united. We know he's one. We understand the doctrine of the Trinity. You know, what's that got to do with anything? Well, it just so stands that if God is one, then so too are we one in Christ. That's our actual position. That's where we stand. We cannot be but united in Christ. That is 
Um, that is our reality. We are one in him. Jesus, when he was praying to the Father, he says, Now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to thee, Holy Father. Keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are. We are one in God. We are one in Christ. We are one because we cannot be otherwise. We must be one. The church is one superorganism. It's, it's one body. It's one entity. It's one bride. The Bible says there is one body and one spirit, even as ye are called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. Ephesians 4, 4 to 6. We are one because we cannot be one. Well, we've got issues with regards to this because we practically don't act as one very often. And that's where we come to our next point. Unity between ourselves. The unity between ourselves. The text tells us, Now the God of patience and consolation grant you to be like-minded, one toward another according to Christ Jesus, that ye may with one mind and one mouth glorify God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. I introduced first the, the doctrine related to the unity of the church, uh, that it is, it's, it's one um, and can't be anything but one. Um, it's that salvation and baptism through Christ that the church, all the church, all the church around the world, this is every single born-again believer are born again into the church. That is the church, what's known as the church universal. We have local churches, local assemblies, but the assembly of the church itself, the bride of the Lord Jesus Christ, are one. They are a unified body of believers. It's funny because we often have, we'll have arguments and we might have debates with different Christians and, and we might talk about different things. Something like, um, you know, we talk about eschatology a lot of the time. Um, not a lot of the time, not as often as we probably should. The, thing, the, the doctrine of last things. Speaking about, the, you know, we speak about the rapture of the church. The Bible teaches that we are to be caught up before this, this great trial that the world is going to go through on the earth. And it's something that is known in the Bible as our blessed hope, and we look forward to it, you know. Um, but there are believers who don't believe that's the case. They, don't believe, they believe the church is going to go through this incredible trial, this period of judgment. It's actually the outpouring of God's wrath upon the world. And, um, and, I, and I said to one a long time ago, and I did, the thought didn't originate with me, um, he just wouldn't submit himself to the scriptures and and because we recognize that both of us can't be right. There's two opposing views. And, um, and uh, you know, in the end, sort of just said to him, that's okay. I'll explain it to you on the way up, you know. And that's so true, you know. I mean, in the end, he, if he's born again, he's going to be raptured at the same time as me. It's not going to make any difference at the end. Um, so regardless of what the position is, um, the reality is still going to bear fruit. That's still going to be true. Um, this is a prayerful command, however, in the text. It says, Now the God of all patience and consolation grant you to be like-minded one toward another, according to Christ Jesus. It's clear, therefore, that there is a tendency in life to see division in the church. Um, this is not a work of God. This is not a work of God. Someone is clearly in error. 
You cannot have two opposing doctrinal views and both of them be right. We do not agree to disagree as the mantra goes. That is not the objective. The objective is to be like-minded one toward another, to be of the same mind one toward another, says Paul in Romans twelve sixteen. We just saw that Jesus prayed that we would be one just as he and the Father are one. When Paul gave his salutation in, in Philippians 4, he wrote, I beseech Odeus and beseech Syntyche that they be of the same mind in the Lord. There is here no division. There's no alternative mindset, just as acceptable to God as being united of mind or as being ununited. God is not... God doesn't accept us to be in disunity just as much as he accepts us to be in unity. No, he disregards the disunity and he calls us to be united. One mind, one fellowship, one, one, one understanding, like-minded, one toward another. Paul wrote that we have the mind of Christ in 1 Corinthians 2.16. So we have to recognize then that there has to be a unity within the body in a practical sense, if it is already in reality. If we are born again into the one church and we are born again into Christ, we also have to have one mind in all matters with regards to what the Bible teaches. That should be the norm. That should be what we would refer to as normal. We'll talk about that in a minute. Turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and see how Paul deals with the Corinthian church to which he finds division. First Corinthians chapter one and verse ten. We'll take our text from there. Paul writes, Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. Notice the absolute nature of his statements there. He, is he telling you to, oh, look, just don't, just, just don't argue. You know, just don't argue. Guys, don't argue. Just, just agree to disagree and move on. Is he saying that? He doesn't say that, does he? He tells us in an absolute way we be to be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. Then he goes on, For it hath been declared unto me of you, my brethren, by them which are of the household, house of Chloe, that there are contentions among you. Now this I say, that every one of you saith, I am of Paul, and I of Apollos, and I of Cephas, and I of Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? Do you notice what he's, he's, again, he's linking the church, the true church, is united in Christ. Jesus Christ is not divided. He makes that clear. God is perfectly unified within himself. We have to first build our basis from the reality of where we stand. The Bible teaches clearly that we are one. We are one people, one body. We are already literally joined together and unified. But now we are to also be like-minded. And that's the command. It's to be like-minded. Paul defends his charge that we are to be perfectly joined together. There's no division in Christ. 
This is the doctrine that's laid out in the scriptures. This is the doctrine. But the question for us is how to perform it. You know, how do, how do we do it? How do we be one of the same judgment? Um, the first thing we need to do is accept that God expects us to be perfectly one mind in matters objective. In matters objective. The, the subjective will always remain subjective. Okay, so um, subjective refers to preferences, refers to those things that the Bible does not specifically address. Okay, Um, I tried to find it, but I couldn't find it, that vanilla is the best best ice cream. That's the best flavor, you know, and I was trying to look for it in the Bible and I couldn't find it in there. Um, So I've got to I've got to settle for the fact that that's probably subjective, you know. Did you say chocolate? Licorice. Lic- licorice. Oh, my goodness. How can you have a licorice-flavoured ice cream? Ah, don't like that at all. Um, so clearly it's subjective. There's nothing objective about licorice-flavoured ice cream. So there are things that are subjective. There are things that are matters of personal preference. And we, we can be talking about those things that, that, that appeal to our own Taste, a preference for weather, for example, is another one. Um, we can appeal to those things. But there are some other things that we do on a regular basis that are also subjective. Um, how often we celebrate communion, for example. The Bible doesn't actually give us any real specifics. There are some people that hold firmly that we are to celebrate communion every time we gather. The Bible actually does, doesn't say that explicitly. Okay? Um, it also doesn't tell us exactly when we should gather. We follow a tradition that's been set in the scriptures that we gather together of, uh, on the first day of the week, okay, on the Sunday. Uh, but the Bible doesn't command us to do so. It just says when you come together, you know. Um, it doesn't specify a time. Well, we usually start a service at 10.30 when we're doing the proper service. Um, but again, that's neither here nor there. You can have it at midnight. It really doesn't make any difference. Again, these are matters that are subjective, not objective. And we've got to keep those in mind. We attend to being like-minded and perfectly joined together in the same mind and the same judgment, however, when we humble ourselves one toward another in love. We determine not to fight over subjective matters, but to submit to each other in love. If there's something that you don't agree with, with regards to a subjective matter, and you don't have a biblical standing for it, or there is none, then it's really up to us to submit our own selves to one another. Okay, We submit to one another. And in the context of this entire passage, the stronger is to submit himself to the weaker. You know, We are to support the weaker brother or sister in Christ. And we as the stronger are to submit ourselves to that. When it comes to doctrinal contradiction, however, we need to first agree that one of us, are in error. Okay? It's the first thing we have to agree with. You cannot have a doctrinal con- a contradiction and agree to disagree. That's the devil that wants to agree to disagree. We are not to agree to disagree with regards to doctrinal issues. We are to agree on doctrinal matters. And this is the biggest challenge that we have, and there's one reason why it's the biggest challenge that we have, and that is because pride gets in the way. Pride gets in the way with this. 
Now, we are also not to hold any man as perfect in knowledge. So men who are known as doctors of theology or something like that, it doesn't mean that they are any more right than you can be. I've actually found that those who just submit themselves every day to reading the scriptures and they read the plainness of what the Bible actually teaches together in its context, historical context, theological context, they can easily, easily outwit a theologian. All they need to do is just bring the scriptures in. Perfect accord. So we are to hold no man... Um, Perfect in knowledge. Uh, yes, the pastor has been uh, corrected before. You need only attend regular Wednesday night Bible study to, um, to, to occasionally witness the pastor can be in error sometimes. Sometimes. Very, very, very rare. Very rare. Not, not often, very rare. You'll, you'll have to be there every week to maybe one time, maybe catch him in an error. But he has definitely known to be in error. There's times when I go through the scripture, I don't, don't know what it means. I don't know what it means, and I and I set that out to to uh, to those that are in the Bible study. You know, what do you think about this? What what does this mean? How do we bring this out? I'd have one idea. Somebody else would have another idea, and we would bring those things together to be able to um, understand what it actually says. You cannot have two opposing views, however. So it's a good thing to humble ourselves one toward another. And think, hmm, okay, yep, let's have a look at this. Let's, let's nut it out. It's actually quite fun when it doesn't, when pride's not involved. When pride's involved, however, it gets into a, an argument. Not that we've really ever, uh, we've never experienced it in our Bible studies. But, um, but with pride's involved, an argument can easily, can easily break out. So pride is the one thing, obviously, that we need to deal with. Regular reading of the Bible corrects our faults. Regular prayer brings the humility to identify those faults. Got it? Can I say it again? Regular reading of the Bible corrects our faults. Regular prayer brings the humility to identify those faults. Those two things that I'm bang on about time and time and time again. Read your Bible every day, pray every day. Those two things do so much more in your life to help bring about this wonderful joy and the peace. And not least of which is to make us all like-minded in Christ. Speaking with the same mind and the same mouth, we glorify God. Secondly, with regards to this, we need to reject commonality as the definition of normality. What do I mean by that? We need to reject commonality as the definition of normality. Simply because something is common does not mean that it is normal. All right, There's a great tendency in the world today to say that because many people feel a certain way that it is therefore normal. But that's not true. That's not true. Simply because the world over, um, churches disagree on, um, on some matters, it is therefore normal. It's not, that's not normal. That's not where it should be. That's, that's not normal. Um, that which is common is normal as much as that which is uncommon is abnormal. Make sense? Um, Christianity is not common, but its normality is a reality. We see it evident in the world today. If there comes a time that, for example, heterosexuality is uncommon, will it therefore be abnormal? It's a fair point. 
you know if it's going to if it if sometime in the future becomes uncommon does that mean it's abnormal to be heterosexual something you consider we do not accept it so too we should not accept the common idea that because there is division in the church or between congregations of other local churches that this is normal why because the moment we accept it then the only thing we become united in is error we come united in error or we come united in division. We agree to disagree becomes our accepted mantra and that should never be the case. That is not being like-minded. That is not being of the same mind. Paul wrote, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. We ought to be humble one toward another, not to look at our own things, but every man also on the things of others. When it comes to subjective things, we submit one to another. When it comes to objective things, we submit ourselves to the Lord by prayer. It's reading, uh, it's reading this book. Reading this book corrects your thoughts, corrects your mind. If you're reading out of the same book, then you're going to believe the same things. It's just, we, we, and it doesn't matter where you go. It doesn't matter where you go in the in the world. When you submit ourselves to this book, we we submit to the understanding of the scriptures. Satan, however is uniting in error. He is the one that is uniting in error. We speak about being like-minded toward one another according to Christ Jesus. Uh, we are to be of one mind and for, to have one mouth we glorify God. But the passage, the passage tells us that that is the nature of God. He is unified within himself. And the way of the people of God should be exactly the same. But we see the opposite in the devil. We see the opposite in him and in the world. Satan and his demonic horde are united only in error. Oh, where did this begin? This began with pride within him. Pride within him created delusion within him that make him become uh, filled with error. Isaiah 14 speaks to this when God deals with Lucifer. He says, How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground which didst weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. The famous five I wills of Satan. These are delusional. They are an error. They will not ever, ever, ever come to pass. Yet this is what he said within his heart. The fall of Lucifer was pride that turned him into Satan, the deceiver. It was original sin, the original sin of the devil that transformed him from Lucifer to Satan. And that is pride. And this is the sad, tragic state because this judgment will come upon him and will come upon all those who follow what the Bible says are his pernicious ways, and by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. Those who ignorantly follow the devil can be described in the very same way. They are united only in error. They have a deceived heart. Isaiah writes of those who uh, choose to worship false gods in the place of God. They fall, fall down to worship the stock of a tree rather than the high and lofty one that inhabits eternity. It's madness. And Isaiah goes on and he says, He feedeth on ashes 
A deceived heart hath turned him aside, that he cannot deliver his soul, nor say, Is there not a lie in my right hand? And these people are prone to error, and they are united in error. It's of interest that we worship the one who is known as the Word of God. And what's interesting about that is that it is the Word of God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who is also the way, the truth, and the life, we worship the words that he has given us through the gospel unto salvation. So we are saved by words. It's those words that bring us to the knowledge of our own sin. It's those words that, that testify to the reality of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's those words that honour the word himself, which is the Lord Jesus Christ. Satan being a deceiver and also desiring more than anything else to be like God also uses words. He uses words to deceive. And we see that primarily in the garden. The first things that were uttered from the, the devil's mouth were, was, a, was a question. The first statement or the first thing that it was ever came out of his mouth was a question. And it was a question relating to creating doubt in the word of God. Jesus rebukes the error of the Pharisees who followed the deeds of the devil in John 8.44. He says, Ye are of your father the devil, and the lust of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. Notice something interesting. Just as God is united in himself, Right, And he speaks truth and can only speak truth because he is the truth. Satan is a liar and he is the father of it. Right? He speaks a lie because he can't speak the truth. This is the reality of the devil. Paul wrote to Timothy in the last day about the last days and he said, But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. We see that it is words in which Satan also employs to deceive the world and to unite them in error. It was a, the famous commentator, Matthew Henry, who wrote 350 years ago, and he said this. He said, Let Christ, let Christ Jesus be the center of your unity. Agree in the truth, not in any error. It was a cursed concord and harmony of those who were of one mind to give their power and strength to the beast and he quotes revelation seventeen thirteen, speaking of the 10 kings who these have one mind and shall give their power and strength unto the beast interesting isn't it there's going to be a time in the future where those will be of one mind to give their power and their strength to the beast to the antichrist they will be united in error paul writes of deceivers who are such that serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly. And by, look at this, good words and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the simple. Good what? Words and fair speeches, they deceive the hearts of the simple. Romans sixteen eighteen. They use words. Paul wrote of them, or Peter wrote of them, who are evident to many of God's people today. Turn your Bibles to Second Peter. Second Peter, go towards the end of your Bibles, and have a look at Second Peter. After the book of Hebrews, James, you'll get first, then Second Peter. Second Peter chapter two is what we're going to be looking at. 
And these, these are individuals who are evident to many of God's people today. Second Peter chapter 2, verse 17 is where we're taking our text. Peter defines them and identifies them, their natures, and he says, These are wells without water, clouds that are carried with a tempest, to whom the mist of darkness is reserved forever. For when they speak great swelling words of vanity, they allure through the lust of the flesh, through much wantonness, those that were clean escaped from them who live in error. While they promise them liberty, they themselves are the servants of corruption. For of whom a man is overcome, the same is he brought in bondage. Again, look at what they do. They employ great swelling words of vanity. They deceive the world into error. Interesting, they promise liberty, but they bring them into bondage. They promise them liberty and they bring them into bondage. When the world is united in error, this is what comes to pass. And we're seeing this playing out today more than ever more. In his classic book, Less Than Words Can Say, man known as the underground grammarian by the name of uh, Robert, Robert Mitchell, or Richard Mitchell, sorry, he laments the replacement of clear words with words that are used only to dull the mind and deceive the heart. Richard Mitchell was, um, he was probably the first, well, he's the first that I know historically of a, uh, an edu- edu- educated individual who um, lamented the direction of the education system. And he wrote, um, he wrote in the 1970s, wrote in the 1970s. And, and it's a great book. It's actually quite, quite a funny book, uh, less than words can say. I've, I've, got a, I've got a hard copy of it. And it's a uh, and I, I loved reading it actually. It was it was quite, yeah. He'd pull he'd pull in statements by teachers, by by ministers, by by people who were involved in politics, and by all these people in authority. And he'd pull out their statements or a paragraph or something like that, and he'd just pull it to bits that it doesn't make any sense. You know what are you trying to say? And there's so many funny passages that he actually he actually deals with. But he wrote this. He says. Where once a tyrant had to wish that his subjects had but one common neck that he might strangle them all all at once, all he has to do now is to educate the people so that they will have but one common mind to delude. And that is so true. And this is where things are at. Mitchell laments the use of precise words and their replacement with jargon. He hates jargon. Now, if you listen to a politician for any reasonable period of time when a decent question is asked of them, what do you get? Jargon. They can spend, and I've seen theologians do this. I've seen pastors do this. They stand there and they preach for 20 minutes, half an hour, and say nothing. Nothing of any, any value anyway, you know. And you listen to a politician and it's exactly the same. All they do is speak. And they know that they have a limited amount of time, so they exhaust the words to limit the amount of questions that come their way. It's the level of deception is astounding, and this is what we're seeing happening. But Mitchell notes something of great interest. He says this. He says, The Nazi bureaucracy generated thousands and thousands of pages of routine paperwork related to the business of killing Jews. But in all that paperwork, the word killing appears nowhere. It's not impossible that thousands of Germans could have done what they did only because they spoke carefully of transportation and 
resettlement and solution rather than that of killing. Now, consider and place your thoughts to that of today. We'd not ever considered such phrases as two weeks to flatten the curve with eight months of societal closure. We'd never thought of it that way. Or staying safe with home imprisonment. Or social distancing with family segregation. We'd never, we'd never associated those words together, yet that's what they've come to mean. Or libertary, or, liber, or liber, liberty with mandatory vaccinations. You know, we've never associated those things together. Or keeping others safe with losing my right to earn a living. Again, we've never associated those words together, yet that's what they have come to mean. Beloved, just like Satan and the horde of devils, he convinced to follow him, the world has unity only in error and their sin will find them out. Even today, they live under the consequence of their own rejection of the truth. While promising them liberty, the deceivers of the powers that be are bringing them into bondage, bringing the world into bondage. Even in this, God is proven true. The scriptures commanding us this way, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme or unto governors as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of them that do well. We are to follow and trust in the Lord. There is some way, somehow, for all of this that works together for good to them that love God. We don't know how. We have to live by faith when it comes to these things. Last point of this morning. With one mind and one mouth, we glorify God. Now the God of all patience and consolation grant you to be like-minded one toward another, according to Christ Jesus, that ye may with one mind and one mouth glorify God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It was... Um, it was in 1991 that a Spanish opera singer named Placido Domingo played the role of the Moor of Venice in the Shakespearean tragedy Othello. He received the longest voluntary standing ovation in history. It was no less than 80 minutes long. 101 curtain calls. 101 curtain calls. In this, it was with one mind and one desire that the audience had of their appreciation of him. In them, there was a unity of expression through a unified experience that they desired to show their gratitude to Placido Domingo. How much more does that stand for you and I with respect to Christ? How much more should we be unified in glorifying God? through our Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, for us and the work that he has done within us, how he has given us comfort, how he's given us patience, how we've been given eternal life. I mean, we've been given eternal life. I don't know any born-again Christian who believes that they deserve eternal life. I don't know any. Yet our sins had cast us as far away from God as the east is from the west. And yet, in the Lord Jesus Christ, we come together believing the work that he did for our sin, that he died on the cross to take my sin upon him. What did he do to deserve my sin? 
you know? And yet he did that. He took my sin. He bore it upon the cross. He died and paid the penalty for me that I might be saved. And with his death, I am healed. I'm healed through him. And and every single Christian is exactly the same. Every single individual who right now would be willing to submit and just trust Christ for their salvation will be unified in him. And the liberty that they have will be a real liberty. It'll be a liberty that won't matter whether you're in prison in the physical world. Because that's only going to be for a moment. These, these, are, these are issues that are only going to be for a moment. you know, And they, they give to us a far more exceeding weight of glory. We are united in Christ and with one mind and one mouth we glorify God. Even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. We stand here and we look at the world and wonder at the madness that is taking them. They are united in error and the lusts of this world. They are willing to destroy themselves. They are promised liberty through great swelling words and we stand there looking at them. We stand there looking at them. And Peter describes them and we have to be careful here. And I'm saying that we have to be careful and I'm using this passage here because we need to be careful that we are not the same. That we are not the same. Peter writes about this in in 2 Peter chapter 2. He says, Having eyes full of adultery that cannot cease from sin, beguiling unstable souls and heart that have exercised covetous practices, cursed children which have forsaken the right way and are gone astray, following the way of Balaam, the son of Bozor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness, but was rebuked for his iniquity, the dumbass speaking with man's voice, forbade the madness of the prophet. 2 Peter 2, 14-16 We are not deceived as the world is. The world is seeking after and looking after this temporary gain and temporary treasures that will one day be burnt up. But we, we have something else. Because with one mind and one mouth glorifying God, we are seeking another country, a heavenly one. That's what we're looking for. Our desire is a better country and heavenly. Wherefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he hath prepared for them a city. We don't look back to this world. We don't look back to the things that we might lose in this life. Remember Lot's wife, said Jesus. In Luke seventeen thirty two, If this is true for us, if indeed we are to be like-minded one toward another according to Christ Jesus, that you may with one mind and one mouth glorify God, then we need to be seeking the things which are above and not have a love for the world. John rebukes these misplaced desires. In 1 John 2 he says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all things that are in the world, the lust of the flesh, and the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth for ever. Beloved, if we're going to be having our focus on this world and on this life, we are going to find ourselves divided. And we're going to be finding ourselves united in error with the world. Um, 
We are to have our one focus, and our one focus has to be heaven-bound. We have to be looking to the Lord. We have to be looking for that wonderful treasure that we lay up for ourselves in heaven. You are here today for a reason, for a purpose. There's a reason that you're here at this particular time of history. Don't waver. Don't waver. Don't, don't, don't falter. Don't have misplaced affections. Your gain is infinitely greater than your loss in this world. Be focused on the work that the Lord Jesus Christ has given us to do. Don't be deceived by the promise of life at the point of a gun, for example, as they are promising today. That which is motivated by evil is evil. That which is motivated by evil is evil. Don't trust in it. Don't give yourself over to it. The world is going to continue to press you and to conform you into its own image. They want the righteous of the world to agree with the godless of the world. They want to have their error sanctified. They want everybody to agree with them in the direction that the world is going. Don't submit to it. Don't submit to it. That which is motivated by evil is evil. Turn your Bibles. The last passage we'll have a look at is in Second Corinthians chapter six. There is a way, and only one way, that we can glorify God, that we can be like-minded, that we can glorify God with one mind and one mouth, and that is that we need to be separate from those who are united in error. Paul speaks again to the Corinthians in his second letter this time. Second Corinthians chapter 6, we'll have a look at verse 14. 14 to 18 we'll read. Be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. As God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord. And touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. And will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. The world is united in error. It walks in darkness, and it desires or will even force you to walk in like manner. But they who have been saved out of the world, are united in the truth of God. And therein we glorify God with one mouth and with one voice. You who see the evil of the world but are yet to believe the gospel, you who see all the things that are wrong, you who see all the madness that's going on, you who are protesting in the streets, who recognize the evil that is set on our path, who know that there is something else going on behind the scenes, why will you not believe the Bible that speaks about these things? Why won't you turn to believe the scriptures, the Bible that speaks about the days that we are living in? Why would you rather have a new unity in error with this world? I pray you don't, you don't move away from the direction of the world but still refuse the reality of Christ. You find yourselves in no man's land and nobody really survives no man's land. They always get caught in the crossfire. 
That is not the place to stand. You need to give yourself to the Lord, to the one, and be united in the truth and not in error. It's your stubborn pride that needs to be lost. You need to admit yourself a sinner before a holy God. You need to recognize that. You need to believe that the Lord Jesus Christ died for your sins, that your sins were taken by him on the cross. He paid the penalty for it that you would otherwise endure. Otherwise you will endure that penalty and it is eternal. And once you believe, then call on the name of the Lord and be saved. There's a saying by a commentator, a certain commentator, and I modified some of the words a little bit for this purpose. The, um, the saying that is usually given is titled simply, When the Time Was Right. And it's one that gives us encouragement and one that also blesses us in an incredible way. And it's simply this. When the time was right, the sea parted. When the time was right, the walls fell down. When the time was right, the lions went hungry and the sun stood still. And the stars appeared, the star appeared. When the time was right, the waves were calmed, the Christ was crucified, the stone was rolled away. The Lord ascended, and when the time is right, the King of Kings will return. God is never early and he is never late. He is always right on time and his plans for you are good. Let us be like-minded one toward another so that with one mind and one mouth glorify God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, until he comes, until he comes. Maranatha, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, dear Lord, for your word. We thank you for its wonderful truth. We ask and pray, dear God, that you would continue to strengthen us in the word of God, strengthen us in faith, help us to glorify you, And we know, dear Lord, that when the time comes, dear Father, we look for that blessed hope. And we rejoice, dear Father, until then. We glorify your name in unity. And I pray, dear Lord, that you would bless us abundantly in the process. That you would draw us into that wonderful saving faith. And that we will trust in you for the work that you are doing within our lives. We thank you for this and for all things as we look to you until you come. In Jesus' wonderful name. Amen.